It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Thank you for listening and tuning in on us. You can find us on, uh, on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. You can find us at drstuespodcast.com. Uh, I'm at birthinginstincts.com. Kimberly's at kimberlydurden.com. This is podcast number 114. And I'm back here with my partner, Kimberly. Hey. Uh, Kimberly, how you doing? I am so great. I wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about Yanni and give you an update on my oldest daughter. You know, she's uh, expecting uh, monochorionic twins, girls. For that, for um, uh, monoamniotic and monochorionic. Autoamniotic and monochorionic. Right. For that, for that means for people listening, that means the twins are in the very same bag. There's no, there's no membrane between. Right, and that makes them a, a lot more high risk and. Uh, we high risk in what way? They're high risk because uh, they have a higher risk of a twin to twin transfusion syndrome, mm-hmm. where one twin kind of sucks all the energy from the other twin, causing possible fetal demise. They're at high risk for anomalies. Um, they they their birth. They don't have anomalies though. We we know your twins. The good news is they're yeah. absolutely perfect. They have no anomalies, no known anomalies. I mean, they've done all the testing and everything right. is fine. And My daughter is, uh, and the other risk is uh, the delivery of of course is becomes more problematic. And it's interesting because as she nears her, the other risk is uh, cord, cord entanglement, right, yeah, which right. is is uh, one of the reasons why she's been on hospital bed rest since twenty eight weeks. And now she's how many? She is 34 weeks on this Thursday coming oh, up. So fantastic. she's 33 and a half, 33 weeks. The babies are growing beautifully. So are they starting to nudge her to get her to deliver? Or are they so gonna check her more it time? out. And that's so interesting because she's been on the hospital bed rest. It's been very difficult for her. I mean, you can imagine like, you know, in terms of being monitored 24 hours a day. She has monitors strapped to her belly yep. 24 hours a day. She has a little private hospital room. She's She bargained to get in there at 28 weeks as opposed to 26 weeks. Um, so that worked out. Um, babies look good. So she could go in at 28 weeks. And, and she's been there kind of just sitting in her room with these monitors on. And she says you know, psychologically it's it's incredibly difficult. She's away from her husband. She's away from her older child. Um, and if, if, if at any point a baby's heart rate drops, like the whole freaking hospital runs into the room, you know, two, usually it's at two o'clock in the morning when she's trying very hard to get some sleep and, you know, heart rate drops for half a second or, you know, seriously, maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's a minute. They come running in, waking her up. Sometimes, you know, first time it happened, they shoved oxygen in her face and it was really, really traumatic. Well, cut a long story short, um, I finally got an opportunity to, to meet her doctor. Um, well, one of her doctors and his name, he said it was okay for me to use his name. His name is Jetson Chang. And I am like really liking this OB. At which hospital? He's at Cedars, but he does deliveries at a lot of other places. I, I'm I'm adoring this this gentleman. Um, you know, it means a lot to me. He's taking care of my daughter. Is he is he an OB or is he a maternal fetal medicine? He's guy? an OB. Okay, so he's he's so an OB. Have, Her maternal fetal medicine is Dr. Kimberly Gregory. Okay, out so, of they, Cedars. so they got the Cedars team on. So okay, she's got great. the Cedars team on. So he's actually her OB that would deliver the babies. And I mean, I've never. I mean, I'm just. I mean, he's he's a younger guy, um, but he has a ton of experience delivering conjoined twins, all kinds of twins. He has tons of experience, and he's just his bedside manner is wonderful. And you know, the interesting thing is, as as my daughter's been going along on this journey, and as they've been monitoring her, and everything's been turning out okay. Um, so we all knew, we all were told, we knew from the beginning that, and we even heard from you, Stu, that she's going to have a C-section. I mean, it's 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 Dundale scheduled C-section. That's it. Well, did you would you believe a couple of weeks ago, um, Dr. Chang started talk to my, talking to my daughter about a vaginal birth. The babies are in both great positions. They're both head down. They're, one is in her pelvis. The other one is 
we'll we'll get there if the other one moves out the way um they're a good size they're all healthy and he's really was like talking to her about it and my daughter had a home birth with her first uh, child and so she was very open to the idea um he even wanted her to go longer than the uh, typical 32 weeks is when they might want to deliver momo twins um he's pushed for 34 and beyond he actually wants her to go 36 weeks at least and he would love her to go into spontaneous labor and this became a huge part of his plan he was hoping for it gunning for it got all the the uh his you know up on all the studies and et cetera et cetera so what had happened was <laughs> unfortunately uh this had to go up for like a review right so he made the suggestion to her maternal fetal medicine specialist um that however you guys the guys meet over there in cedars they decided you know they had a big meeting about my daughter's situation and at the end of the day by the way dr chang wasn't invited to that meeting but was not was invited. not at the end of the day... Well, that doesn't surprise me, by the way. I know. I, to I told you you would find this story interesting. So at the end of the day, they came back and told my daughter, well, you know, actually, we decided that, no, you're just going to have a C-section because um, one, the babies, uh, one of the babies is... Or the babies or one of the babies is growth-restricted. So uh, Dr. Chang's argument was that they're using what information they're using to determine that the babies are growth restricted are not is information on singleton babies and not on twin babies and not on twin monochromatic babies. Um, and so he actually sent um, some information uh, study to my son-in-law um, that my son-in-law forwarded to me today so I could talk about it a little bit. Um, there's newer, a newer study that just came out. looks like a really great study and I'll send it to you, Stu, to look at. Yeah, I'd that, love to look at that. That shows that, you know, that, uh, Twins have a different growth curve and then singleton babies. We don't have a lot of studies on what the growth curves look like, but all the few studies that we do have, this is what it shows. And this newest study shows that uh, didike twins and, and uh, have a different growth curve and monochromatic twins tend to be a little smaller. So they're not, his view is that they're not, they're not he doesn't believe they're growth restricted. And he doesn't believe this should be used as a reason why they, she can't do a trial of labor. Well, I think an important question to ask, because I'm sure these babies are getting scanned regularly, is whether one baby seems smaller than the other baby or not, are they both growing on, the, on, their, yes. on a very healthy they growth are. curve for, each, for, they the, are. for the individual one? They are. See, that's then that's yes yeah, exactly so, I mean exactly and so very concrete thinking there and the, the, the hospital probably doesn't see any reason to take the risk because as we've talked about many times on the podcast the woman and her and her feelings and right. her desires don't enter into the not equation at all that when it comes not to academia all. they don't I told you I've been at lectures I've listened to I saw YouTube videos I've been at the ACOG meetings where they're talking about, this is how we do things at Johns Hopkins, this is how we do things at Cornell. And it's like, not once during the entire lecture do they say, well, this is how we do things at Cornell, but we always talk to the women, and if they don't want us to do it this way, then we have flexibility. And that never, yeah. ever is said. Exactly, and I think about this doctor, I mean, I really, I, I just think he's great, and I think that he, in his forward way of thinking, and, and his his out-of-the-box thinking which or might have be seen as out-of-the-box thinking although he has things to back up his thinking and he has the knowledge and the expertise you know I, I can imagine how he must feel and I can imagine what happens when you don't go along with the status quo and et cetera, et cetera. so you know it's just interesting I, I really I just want to give a shout out to Dr. Chang I really appreciate um, his line of thinking I appreciate his care Dr. Kimberly Gregory as well I do want to give her a shout out um, but um, I, and I also want to give a shout out to my daughter and for those listeners who have sent me messages saying that they're rooting for my daughter. Um, her birth will probably happen uh, about a week from now. And so is it, it going to be a C-section? They're going to do a C-section. 
they're going to do a C-section. I so it doesn't, Ch Chang has no say in the matter, huh? It looks like he does not. Wow. Yeah. So. See, I'm, again, yeah. I, that's part of the reason I'm not working in hospitals anymore, as you know. I mean, you know, Dr. Chang went through med medical school, residency program. He applied for his boards. He passed his boards. He got his license. He got his fellowship in the American College of OBGYN. He applied for privileges at Cedars. He got approval for privileges at Cedars. And he just, and, and, and he's still castrated. He's getting marginalized. He's still sheep, not right. shepherd. Right. After so all that. After all that. And yeah. after all the information that he's presenting. And then can't really, for whatever reason, wasn't able to speak on, on that case. So um, I just want to say that I do want to just give it, again, just for those of you who want to follow my daughter and see how yeah, everything where, goes. Where, where do they, how do they do um, that? Her Instagram handle is probably the best, Jamila Supreme. Jamila, J-A-M-I-L-A-S-U-P-R-E-M-E. -E. Jamila Supreme, one word, is her Instagram handle. And she's kind of journaling about her life uh, right now, her life in the hospital and different things that are going on. And so follow her so you can see how this birth goes. We're all hopeful that everything goes well. Um, and if you want to send out a prayer to her or just a good intention, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, I think I think it's great, and I think the fact that she's made it this far is is fantastic. And I just want to say, by the way, you mentioned the fact that every now and then she has a D cell, and everybody runs in the room. If we were to monitor every, monitor every single pregnant exactly. woman, you know what? Let me don't even say. You know where I'm going? Because I when I came and I met with Dr. Chang, I said, "Well, look, why is everybody freaking out about these D cells? Like, ha have we done a study that monitors normal, you know, normal pregnancies 24 hours a day to see what those." baby's heart rates are doing and he said no there's no way we could do that because you know that would alter that would actually alter the control group just doing a study by putting a normal woman on a monitor 24 hours a day so we can't there are no studies so we don't know if those d cells are just normal right and it sounds well, like i can tell you they are just they normal. are just normal because how many times have you been listening in your office yeah routinely just randomly you listen and oh you hear you, yeah. there's a d cell there yeah. and and then it comes right back up again exactly. but it, you know it, it just happens exactly baby's heart rates do this all the and time and i just and i just i just want to say it's like really challenging from and you talk about the feelings of the of the mother woman that's going through this it's totally not considered i mean you know when people run there's trauma happening for her to you know, have to manage um, once these uh, events occur and people run in and they're saying, if this happens again, we're going to rush to the emergency to have a C-section, you know, it, it, and she kind of gets frustrated with the nurses. And I feel bad because I'm like, the nurses are, they're doing the job that they've been told to do. They, they have to do what the higher ups have told them they must do. And so it's yeah, a, it's I, a, ch I, I, it's I a challenging it. situation. But um, that said, I really admire Yanni for keeping her wits about her. She has amazing uh, support around her. Her friends who have been, um, and family, of course, who have been circling her and caring for my grandson as a community. And, you know, so we're hopeful that the birth goes well, that Yanni also recovers well um, and has a smooth, successful delivery. So send those wishes our way and maybe by the time you hear this podcast the babies may have already been born uh yeah yeah likely mm -hmm. likely okay well good let's stick on the subject of twins then good and we have a we have an email from one listener um named jennifer uh jennifer m and she writes this um it's from a couple months ago but we have been uh, slack in our podcasting uh, frequency here. So I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to sort of go through the, the dialogue that I had with her. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to 
analyze it a little bit, okay? So, dear Dr. Stu, I wish I lived in California. I mean, how many times a week do I get that? <laughs> and could come to you as, can come to you to assist with the birth of my twin girls. I live in Akron, Ohio. I am currently 32 weeks pregnant. So that was two months ago. So now she's probably delivered by... Oh, she is, actually. I have the results. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, that's why I'm reading it is because she sent me the results. Baby A, I believe, is still breached and baby B is head down. I feel like I've been fighting for myself ever since day one with my OB. She wants to induce at 38 weeks because of the, quote, risk of infant mortality, quote, past 38 weeks. Now that I am further along and baby A is breech, she is telling me that it will absolutely be a C-section because of the chance of the chins interlocking. We've talked about this on the podcast mm -hmm. before. I have been doing everything I can to get the baby to flip, but I just don't understand why my body cannot be given a chance to try to deliver a breech baby. This is my third pregnancy. Hmm. First baby was 39 weeks, seven and a half, seven and a half pounds. Uh, I had some medical interventions. It was delivered vaginally, but, but I have medical intervention because I was uninformed at the time. Second baby was 41 weeks, weighed 10 pounds, hmm. completely natural at the hospital. She can have this breach, And they baby. only pushed for two minutes and labored for maybe three hours. Mm, mm, mm. I just want the opportunity to allow my body to be given the chance to do it. Thanks for all, blah, blah, blah. All right. So then my response to her, initial response to her was, Hi, Jennifer. I hear your frustration. It's very sad that there are so few choices and very skewed opinions on twins. There is data out there supporting breach-first twins, and the interlocking head thing is something we are all taught, but in reality is pretty mythical. Hmm. Those skilled in breach delivery don't fear it. Those that don't really want to do a vaginal twins accept it as truth. Mm -hmm. And then I sent her an attachment to an article from a 2010 article in the Green Journal about the, uh, the myth of interlocking heads mm. and a multi-center trial of breach first twins. All right? if, and then I said, if you can't find someone local willing to assist you, you may then consider possibly driving a distance or traveling. Having had vaginal births already makes you a great candidate for a successful twin birth. Lots of doctors, Rebecca, recommend induction because of the slight increased risk of morbidity and neonatal death. But in actuality, the actual risk remains low. It all boils down to a philosophy of fear versus trust, adding in experience and common sense. There's no perfect opinion. Okay. So then she responds to me. She says, Dear Dr. Stu, thank you so much for response and information. Today I'm 36 weeks exactly. Everything is still going completely healthy. I have been one centimeter and 40% effaced for the last three weeks. I spoke with my OB regarding a breech-first vaginal delivery and also regarding a C-section. I explained essentially my successful two previous vaginal deliveries. I feel that my body should be at least given a chance to deliver breech. If a complication arises, I will already be in the OR surrounded by exactly. a team of doctors who will be able to act quickly... Um, she adamantly disagrees with the idea and explained it as a totally against the AMA standard of care. Now, I can tell you that the American Medical Association does not have a standard of care, so she either got that wrong, and, and it's not even against ACOG standard of care. Okay. It's, there's, ACOG really doesn't have a statement about it. Right. But she's, she, the, the doctor's quoting this, which we hear a lot, that doctors will quote things not expecting people to actually right. look them up. Right. And then I need to sign some sort of release explaining I understand the risks. However, at the end of the conversation, she said she could see where I was coming from and wanted me to consult with a high-risk doctor. Mm. Okay. So I met with a high-risk doctor, MFM in Akron. He also explained the same risks and said that this is his, 
that his first recommendation would be an automatic C-section at 38 weeks with breach A. He stated that he doesn't feel comfortable delivering breach baby A, given my great history, and it would be very low risk. Therefore, he would be on board joining my OB to assist in the birth. He still, however, advises to deliver at 38 weeks, but advises against inducing. So basically, if I haven't gone into labor by 38 weeks, he would advise to go straight to a C-section. One thing that's very funny is he provided me the exact same article on breach baby A mm. that I had given him. Uh, so good. So that's a good thing. Okay. So he's good. The fact that he no, gets, all, that is good, except the only problem is if you don't go into spontaneous labor at 38 weeks. I mean, that's like the caveat right. as so, far as so, I'm concerned. So basically she went, you're not she, gonna she, get into she moved up one peg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she went from the absolute C-section yeah. peg to the possible well, C-section is, peg. Well, maybe if, if, as long as you go into labor on your own in, in another week, Sure. I still have not found any evidence which shows benefit of inducing twins at 38 weeks, so I don't know if I even buy into being induced or especially automatic C-section at 38 weeks. My article, the article my OB provided me has an inconclusive evidence and also stated that currently the AMA now advises against 37 weeks because there's higher risk outside than in the uterus at that gestation. It used to be that twins were suggested to be delivered at 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. And again, that's... Being debunked? Well, it's been debunked and it's overcall. And, and again, they're looking at relative risk versus actual risk. Right, right. Every day you go beyond a certain point, the, sure. the risk of a stillbirth rises. Rises. But it rises so minusculely mm-hmm. that it's not worth... Right. It's in, not know. statistically significant. Yeah, it's not worth having someone make a decision based on that. That makes me wonder what they will say in a couple of years. Will the standard then be to go to 40 weeks? <laughs> uh, Jennifer, I don't think so. I don't think they, anyone has the... Uh, the cojones to uh, mm-hmm. to actually not make a standard. They always have to have standards. Organizations live by having protocols and policies and standards. The idea of individualizing care is so scary to them that right. that they don't do it. And then exactly. and then most colleagues rely on that, and they don't want to go beyond that. Uh, okay, so I responded to her saying, "Jennifer, thanks for the follow up." That he references the two thousand Lancet term breached. Oh. He referenced, oh, and he sent her a link to a breach, um, risks and breaches. And the link he sent her was for the 2000 term, 2000 term breach trial, which is a paper that most of us in the breach world know is a flawed paper. Got it. And really should only be taken not seriously. Mm. Um, so I said that he references the 2000 Lancet term breach trial paper as evidence of anything tells me he is not in tune with current mm-hmm. breach data. Mm-hmm. That paper was refuted by so many authors in the years following but like so many of these days, the cherry, they cherry-pick the data, even bad data, that supports their position and ignores their opposition. And then I sent her a couple of articles um, that refuted the term breach trial. Mm-hmm. And again, this is not a client of mine. This is just somebody that like, I... This is, this is what you do for I have, fun. Un- this is what you do for fun. Because I have, yeah, because... Yeah, you have the time on your hands. Well, You're yeah, not catching I, babies. Right, I know, it's yeah, okay. It's, really it's okay. My, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm OCD. I can't not respond to these people. Right. And just for starters, as for the data for 38 weeks is his opinion based on small relative risk increases in waiting without considering the real risks of induction. They're mm-hmm. not, there are not being wholly on, they are not being wholly honest with their numbers. So in other words, those, what it studies is like the, it only shows the risk of each day you go longer, but it doesn't show, compare that to the risk of actually inducing the baby and all that. No, they, well, they never, the talk, they never talk about the risk of induction. They never talk about the risk of induction leading to fetal distress and a cesarean section right. and NICU admissions and potential risks right. in subsequent pregnancies. What if right. she wanted another pregnancy exactly. and now she has a C-section scar right. and she has and to deal with the, that risk. Exactly. And, we've been, and what we've been learning about with the maternal, maternal mortality rate is just rise in C-sections is bringing that rise in accreta 
placenta accreta even. I mean, you, you, one in 500 women now might be diagnosed with placenta accreta. It's crazy. Yeah, it used to be one in 30,000. One in 30,000, but because of the high C-section yeah. rate, we're seeing more accreta, which is really scary. That's not, that, and that's not mentioned. That, by the way, the risk of accreta after a cesarean section or two cesarean sections is higher than the risk of a damaged baby from a uterine rupture, but they don't tell you that either. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, again, these are things that just need to be put out there. That's why we do our podcast, to get that information out there. Hopefully you guys that are listening will share this information, will share the link with people, uh, friends, family members, people that you love, to have them listen just to get a, a different insight on these sorts of things. So Jennifer concludes her story uh, okay. with an email from early July. So we're, up to, we're almost up to speed now. Okay. Because uh, we're recording this in the middle of July. Uh, even though it probably won't play till August. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to reach out to you, Dr. Stu, and tell you the conclusion of my pregnancy story. My water broke last Wednesday morning at 4 a.m., 37 weeks and five days. Ooh, just under the wire. (laughs) Way to go. We got to the hospital around 7.30, and the coat hangers were were wonders. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Never mind. Okay. To break the bag of waters, he means. We got to the uh, hospital. Don't try it at home. Yeah, I was joking. Uh, for my really serious <laughs> listeners. We got to the hospital around 7.30 and we were immediately, quote, counseled, unquote, on the severe risk of having a vaginal twi- delivery of twins, especially with baby A being breached. Death, both mother and baby, brain damage, etc., were all mentioned on several occasions by several different doctors. It was really doom and gloom. Mm. I remain steadfast and continue on with my desired course of action. This woman is... She's a rock star. Yeah, you rock go. Star. Go, girl. Yes. Um... <laughs> You're the amazing. An- the anesthetologist gave me his doom and gloom story too. This was happening so frequently and, and hardcore that it was even making my husband question if I was doing the right thing. Lord have mercy. I know. I know. I know. <sighs> but you know what? They've alleviated all their guilt. Right. All these people have vomited. So they're basically dumping on this woman who's having guilt. a baby. Yeah, they're vomiting their guilt and their fears onto and her. And what good would it do if, if she did, if, if God forbid something happened to her, like... What's that going to do, them saying to her? I mean, of course you have to give informed consent, but is that like over and over and over again, creating an atmosphere of fear and trauma? Yeah, because they all want to walk in if something bad happened and say, I told you so. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> right. you know. No, they're not going to do that. seems like that. They want to, they listen, they, it makes them feel like they have done everything they can to... To forewarn, so, yes. so to speak, of the things and that cover, could happen. cover themselves. But again, it goes back it's to what, it goes back to what we were saying about how the the psychological state of the woman, how she's affected by those conversations, and how they're given um, the you know the, her feelings, her her what she's going through. I mean, just to juxtapose it with my daughter who's sitting in the hospital. I mean, anytime she something comes up, like she says, "I'm tired of being on these monitors. I'm going outside to take a walk," and they kind of like, "Oh no, you can't do that." And she's like, "I'm doing that," and she takes the monitors off. She goes outside and takes a walk, and she's taking charge of her self care at the uh, and and at the same time where where the whole force of this institution is like no 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 because if something happens when you're out on that walk then it's our ass but she, but that said if she experiences anxiety in the hospital they they will happily give her a pill they will happily if she's having trouble sleeping give her a pill and she doesn't want to take the pill. She wants to just do what she knows what she needs to do because it's unnatural for her to be sitting in a hospital room 24 hours a day on a bed for weeks on end. So can the girl get out and get some fresh air and can that be okay? And God for, I mean, it's it's all about the risk and it's not about 
it's all it's about the about, risk. It's, it's all about if it's something. About risk management. It's all it's about, about risk, risk. management. Yeah. Yes. Thank yeah. you for clarifying. Yeah. And 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 her feelings have nothing to do with nothing risk, risk management. So carry on. Right. So they've all vomited on her now, but she's sticking to her guns. And then her labor, she sort of putzes around for several hours, and she's tried for twelve hours. She's walking, exercise ball pump, breast pumping. Nothing's really happening. So that evening, she agrees to start pitocin. All right, and they obviously accommodate her. At midnight, her contractions really started getting serious. Uh, at one thirty in the morning, she felt baby baby A move into the canal. Also, um, baby A was determined incomplete frank breach, which basically just means complete breach. Because it means one leg, instead of being the yeah. bent, yeah. No, one being leg's up, down, one, one leg's, leg's down. down one yeah. okay. That's but okay. And they saw that on the ultrasound and triage. Mm -hmm. I was rolled down to the OR around 1.30 a.m. and I started pushing A out. Hmm. Um, Frank breach in less than two pushes and in one minute. Woo! Okay. We delayed cord clamping and had immediate skin to skin. She was a, a nine on the APGAR, so she was perfectly healthy as Excellent. soon as she was born. Baby A named Aria was born at 1.55 a.m., weighing six pounds, one ounce. Baby B was still up there, so I gave a couple of pushes on my own after about 15 minutes of waiting. This allowed B to move right into the vertex position, and she was immediately ready to come. I pushed her, I pushed her twice in about two minutes, and she was born at 2.13, so in other words, 18 minutes later, weighing seven pounds, seven ounces. Amazing. Uh, she also got a nine on the APGAR score. I had no tearing. And I have virtually no pain other than my uterus contracting back into place. I've been going on Tylenol, a little bit of Advil. They've latched on well and things are going great. There was lots of opposition, but I'm glad I stuck to my guns and I also educated myself. I love it. Thanks for your insight. Sincerely, Jen. Happy twin mom. Look how you got to help a birth happen. In Ohio. And you weren't <laughs> even there. So you don't have to be everywhere. Maybe we don't have to clone you. You just have to be on the computer sending out all this good information and like fairy dust to people. <laughs> meaning positive vibes the fairy dust is i'm not talking I'm the not, fairy I'm, dust is look look at this think about this you could do this you you know having faith you know in 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 the process where'd you get that from seriously from seeing you always say it's like from seeing so much my or? mom dropped me on my head <laughs> <laughs> well that's what's wrong okay yeah. <laughs> That's amazing repeatedly. story. She, she repeatedly <laughs> dropped me on my so head. So are you recommending that people do this with their children? No, okay. not if they want to turn out to be, they don't want them to be obstetricians anymore. <laughs> anyway. Okay. The obstinate obstetrician. So I want to change the subject briefly because That's I want to get this one story. sentence in before I get to the last topic today. Uh, but thank you, Jen, for that beautiful, uh, beautiful. story. All Congratulations. Right. Um, you know, we've talked about breach a lot on the on the podcast because that's one of my passions, and I now have the breach trainer. Uh, I want to be able to get out there and, uh, and teach, and I would love to get into residency programs if um, if anybody knows, um, you know, charge nurses or people in administrations mm -hmm. of local hospitals to, to give residents a little demonstration because we should all, even if they're not planning to do a lot of breach deliveries in real life, they still need to know how because mm -hmm. the emergent breach is going to happen. Anyway, everybody knows about the term breach trial and how the term breach trial sort of compared the outcomes to planned vaginal breach delivery versus planned cesarean delivery. And in the in a recent uh, journal, they looked at it was an editorial written about the term breach trial. Again, still we're we're seventeen years out; it's still haunting us. Hmm. But they said, and I'll just make the long story short. The discussion goes on. It says as th as this discussion shows in this editorial. The safety of spontaneous vaginal breech birth was not tested by the term breech trial, and therefore the results of the trial cannot be applied to women having spontaneous 
vaginal breech births attended by skilled and experienced maternity care providers. This is something I've been saying all along. And the whole point of this is, is that they randomized people into different groups. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of these people were induced. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, some of the people didn't necessarily didn't want it. They, they were in this. But that's taking somebody who's being induced. In my own experience, people who don't succeed with a spontaneous labor and breach and they need to be transported from home to hospital because mm-hmm. you know, they stalled out at seven, eight, nine centimeters or in the second stage, those women should be delivered by a cesarean section. Mm-hmm. Because in my own experience and those experiences of, of, of other authors like in Germany and in Australia, all experience that the breaches either deliver spontaneously or a cesarean section is probably then safer right. at that point. Well, that did, they didn't take that into account in the term breach trial. They mm. just looked at outcomes for anybody that started out Got with it. a vaginal breach birth. Got it. And they, therefore, they went the other, they went the other way. Got but if you start it. pitting these people, and the, but if you're talking about a spontaneous breach birth, it's actually quite safe. And I just wanted to throw that back into the That's uh, a great clarification. Ether. Thank you. You're welcome. It's for me, too, as a, as a future practitioner. All right. So we all know that when we go to the hospital to have a baby or have our appendix out mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. we have to sign consent forms. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they ask you to sign consent forms prior to anything happening. Like there'll be a group of consent forms you sign when you walk in. Yes, I'll have an epidural. Yes, I'll have an IV. Yes, I'll consent to a cesarean section. They ask you to sign all these things, even though you don't want to. It's part of their hospital policy. And I would say most of us, when we go to the hospital, don't understand that we don't have to sign those forms. Mm. They tell you you have to sign those forms, but legally you do not have to sign those forms. And legally they have to take care of you whether you sign them or not. Mm. Now, I'm not trying to be that controversial. I don't think there's any reason not to sign those forms. Mm -hmm. But those forms are not something that you say then you cannot revoke. You can actually change your mind. That's what I was going to say. Even if you sign it, you could you could change your mind. That's right. You can change your mind. And a lot of times when they teach you or they, t- they talk to you about your baby, you need a cesarean section because you have this or that and the other thing. Now, if you go in with a placenta previa, you need a cesarean section. Right. And there is no really other option right. that's, that's safe for you or your baby. You, right. Your baby will or your mother or you could bleed to death. If you have a placenta right. of accreta, you right. need a cesarean section, right. okay? Or you at least need to sign a consent for surgery afterwards because the placenta is mm-hmm. not going to come out. Those sorts of things, granted. But to tell someone that they need a cesarean section because they have a breach or to tell someone that they've been laboring now and they, they've been induced for a day at 39 weeks because the fluid was on the low side and we've, right. we've given you a pit for 12 hours and your cervix hasn't changed right. and now you need to have a cesarean right. section. It's wrong. That's coercion and that's, that's wrong. So, what I, what I, I got a story and I want to, uh, it's another story from a colleague of mine, a physician in Texas who experienced this firsthand and he, he writes this. He says... Um, a colleague of mine in Texas texted me with a story of frustration and bullying that I've heard a thousand times but really triggered both of us. His client, a woman with a vaginal birth, then a cesarean, followed by a successful vaginal birth after cesarean, Mm -hmm. so her fourth baby, Mm -hmm. for those who are counting, (laughs) was at term with her fourth, oh, I said that, with her fourth Mm -hmm. baby. Mm -hmm. See, I'm smart. I write this stuff down. Uh, he recognized the reasonableness of her desired choice of another VBAC and counseled her as such. However, the hospital she had to deliver at Doesn't do has a VBAC ban and vehemently insisted she have a repeat cesarean Lord while have mercy. discrediting her doctor for his advice. Huh. So they not only told her in, incorrect advice, but they then belittled him besides, which is a very standard policy. When you can't argue the facts, you belittle the messenger. Mm. Okay. 
The patient evidently went along with the unnecessary cesarean, leaving my colleague feeling battered and dejected. As our conversation progressed, he confessed he does not understand why the hospital was unwilling to even try to understand his reasoning. And then I, I write, a sweethearted man, he has yet to accept the realities of the business of medicine. <laughs> I then jokingly said to him that his patient should ask the hospital to sign a document saying that she preferred the ACOG-supported choice of a VBAC, but since hospital policy restricts that reasonable choice, then the hospital understands it will be held liable for any surgical complication in this or any future pregnancy. Mm. Okay, <laughs> interesting thought. Mm -hmm. He responded, oh, wow, I wasn't aware of such a document. That's awesome. And I responded, well, there isn't one. <laughs> I'm just suggesting it. Wouldn't that be great? Now, that even make, That would make things change real quick. Well, it probably wouldn't, but it's, it's an interesting thought. So now, even though we both believe that they would never sign it, wouldn't it be great to have them realize what they're asking of the pregnant woman? Mm -hmm. Again, not taking into consideration, really, the, the wish, the desires, feelings, lifestyle, anything of the pregnant woman, what she wants to do in future the future. Future pregnancy, right, nothing. Future pregnancy, none of that, you know. The fact that she's had a successful VBAC. Right, no, it doesn't matter. We don't do VBACs here. Birth. Yeah. We don't do them here, lady. We yeah, don't so we're going to force you else. into something that carries more risk for you. Because right? we don't and do that. And we're not going to take here. any responsibility for it because you're going to sign a consent saying that we can do it and here's the risks involved, involved with it. You say, right. So, you know me. Uh, kind of, yes, yes. sort of, I do okay. know you. So, well, not being one to pass up a chance to be a bit provocative and feisty, <laughs> me, uh, especially in the name of Truth and Essex, I have created a document that I call, quote, consent for a forced cesarean section, unquote. And I ran it past some good people, including my good friend, Hermine Hayes-Klein, mm. uh, who's a human rights attorney. And uh, we all agreed that we should put it out there for all of us to share and our clients facing a similar course of situation. Mm. So this document that I'm going to read to you guys is up on my blog page on the birthinginstincts.com. Click on the blog tab and just scroll down till you find it. And you can find it. You can print it off and you can actually use it or revise it or whatever and give it to your clients. So when they go to the hospital, if there's something happening at the hospital that they feel is not what they want, and they're being sort of coerced into a cesarean section or forced by policy in it, they say, I'll be happy to have a cesarean section if and only if you sign this consent form. So let's hear and it. And you give it to the consent form to them, okay? So it goes like this. I love it. It's Short and sweet, too. It's a form out. You know, maybe we'll put a, maybe that's what we'll put a picture up for this podcast. Yeah, that sounds for good. For now, you're listening, you can put that up. Um, I've been informed by my physician of the risks of vaginal birth and have also been informed of the benefits of a cesarean section for myself and my baby in my current condition. I have also been informed that this hospital has a policy against a vaginal birth for a VBAC, breach, and some twin births. I am aware that I am being told that I must have a cesarean section and I have been asked to sign a consent for this surgical procedure against my wishes. I am also aware of the benefits of vaginal delivery for my own health now and in future pregnancies. I'm aware of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology Committee opinions and practice guidelines on VBAC breach and twin birthing support vaginal delivery in most instances with a trained attendant. I'm aware that I'm aware there are both short and long-term risks to cesarean birth for me and my children, and I'm requesting to be allowed to have a vaginal trial of labor. Having been informed of the risks and benefits of these options, I wish to have my decision for a vaginal birth respected. I am aware that medical ethics states that in my situations, excuse me, that in situations with more than one reasonable option, the decision of how to proceed should respect my autonomy in decision making. I am aware that ACOG states that use of coercion is never acceptable. Hmm. <laughs> Getting the point? 
Yes. So, I freely accept the risk and benefits of my choice and desire to proceed with a vaginal delivery. I will happily sign a consent form taking responsibility for my decision and indemnify my physician and the hospital. However, should my wishes still not be respected by this institution and I am forced to accept a cesarean section and sign a surgical consent form against my will without a trial of labor simply because of hospital pressure or policy, then I, respect my physician, then I expect my physician and this institution to take full responsibility for complications that may arise from said policy in this current and all future pregnancies. Then it goes, I need a copy of that. Then it goes, I, the undersigned, and this is to the hospital, mm-hmm. am a duly authorized representative of this hospital and have informed blank the patient mm-hmm. that the policy of this hospital and or recommendation by the medical staff is to go to immediate cesarean section without allowing a trial labor for the condition of blank, mm-hmm. breach, VBAC, whatever. I have reviewed the references below and am aware that this patient prefers a vaginal delivery Nonetheless, it is hospital policy to perform a cesarean birth for her condition. I am aware that cesarean section carries with it certain risks in this and future pregnancies and accept responsibility on behalf of the institution and medical staff for any complication that should arise during, after, and in the future from our policy for surgical birth. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. I need a copy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of copies. And then Hermine says, you should also, and at the bottom in, in italics, she says, on the hospital's consent form for C-section... That you're supposed to sign, you should you should write this in the margin. I am being told that this hospital will not support me in a vaginal birth and will only offer me surgical delivery, and have been asked to sign a consent form for this surgery against my wishes. Because I am signing the surgical consent form against my will without a trial of labor due to hospital pressure and policy, I expect my physician and this institution to take full responsibility for any complications that may arise from the treatment I receive in this current and all future pregnancies. Unquote. Mm. Now, you should hand write that in on their consent form and sign and then sign it. And therefore now you're putting the the onus back on them to the, to, to to basically defend their position when it's indefensible. And if they still want to go ahead with this, then at least you've gotten some I I think it's satisfaction. Great. Yeah. Now granted I can pretty much tell you that no hospital will sign this. Mhm. But Oh, it's it's on my website. She's She's, take <laughs> she's of taking it. a picture. She's taking a picture of it to my daughter. She's taking a picture of it right now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to end. I wanted to sort of end the podcast with the the thought that here we talked about well, Yan, you know Yanni's what? twins. We talked right. about this other set of twins. Right. You know, I'm not sure what Yanni should do, and Yanni and maybe the twins will dictate what Yanni should do. But right. do, Yanni should have the option of doing what Dr. Chang wants. That option has been removed from her. Right. So I think that this is not an unreasonable thing for Yanni to tell Cedars. I'd like you to sign this because uh, you know I think that I'd like to try to have a vaginal birth. And I think that she and her husband are are would love to to write it in the margins, and they probably will do so. So thank you for the suggestion. And if if anything, like you said, I mean, it's the hot, you know, it's it's not it may not change anything, but in a sense, it's a bit of a protest. It's a bit of a demonstration about our protest of of about our dis dis comfort with the way that things are done in in these situations, and so. Uh, I, for that, even just for that, I think. It's yeah, I, uh, psychologically, also, at least you feel like you're you're doing something. You're able to stand up and have some sort of say when you all well, of your a, It's a chance to empower. Away. It's a chance it's to empower yeah. a person back to making making the people talk to them like they are intelligent, right. individual human being yeah, as absolutely. opposed to a receptacle. Yes. Which is what they're often treated as. Yes. By the way, on the consent form, I also list four um, references. Mm-hmm. from the American College of OBGYN that support 
what I just put down on paper. So I think it would be really a cool idea to do it. And so um, I guess, you know. I love it. I would love to see, you know what, I would love to see, like, folks the across the country just fill, filling out this form and, and adding that um, addendum to their hospital consent forms. And let's do this. Let's do this as a way to bring awareness and to let uh, hospitals know. Because right now we, we're we're forced to be silent. We're forced to just do what the hospital says in many cases and, and we don't feel like we, we internalize in, in the whole experience of what happens to our, in ourselves yeah. and um, this is a really great start I love it well thanks Kimmy and You're thank welcome. you and thank you all for listening I mean you, you put up with us we really appreciate you <laughs> coming back and listening to us we know that your time is uh, limited that you probably have a zillion podcasts and TV shows and Netflix and actual life to take to deal with so the fact that you take 40 minutes out of your day or what you're driving in traffic or whatever to listen to our podcast is really appreciated. Again, this is Dr. Sue's podcast number 114. You can like us on Facebook. You can uh, like us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Uh, you can find us at drsuespodcast.com. Uh, I think I do tweet, but uh, I don't ever look at them anyway. work? <laughs> so, so don't don't ever go there. Don't tweet. But, you tweet, uh, but and you don't tweet. Our website's again, KimberlyDurden.com and birthinginstincts.com where on the blog page you can find a copy of this uh, consent form that we just discussed. Love Again, it. it's Dr. Stu for Kimberly. Thanks for listening. <laughs>